Hello, and welcome to the Every Little Model podcast, where we look at the models, tools, and frameworks that we use to make sense of our organizations and our world. Today, my co-host, John, and I are exploring a model about the bigger brain. John, tell us where did this come from? Oh, thank you. I'm excited to talk about this today. Over three days, just as some context for everybody, over three days in January of this year, Tricia and I joined experts and practitioners, scientists, business leaders, and change agents in an online symposium hosted by the New Rules for Work. And we'll provide a link to that site in the podcast notes below. And it was really a set of experiments exploring collaboration, innovation, and the facilitation of gatherings online to solve problems. And in our session, we talked about innovation, engagement, and the need to close something called the ingenuity gap, the gap between the scale and complexity of our problems and the supply of the available solutions to us. And so that's what brought us into this idea, this concept of the bigger brain. And so Tricia, I'll throw this back to you. What is the bigger brain? What is the bigger brain? We asked this question to chat GPT, what was the bigger brain? And according to chat GPT, it is about expanding your frontal cortex in your brain, but it wasn't exactly clear what we were asking. It wasn't too sure about how do you go about engaging your bigger brain. But that isn't quite what we mean by the bigger brain, the expansion of your frontal cortex in your body. What we mean by the bigger brain is the bigger brain we're using as a metaphor for data gathering, information processing, and the meaning-making capability that resides outside of any one person or any individual's capacity. So how do we unlock ideas and knowledge and information outside of what we are able to either access ourselves or create as just one individual? That is what we mean by the bigger brain. Don, tell us a little bit about what comes together to find the bigger brain? Like, what is the model? What is the bigger brain model? Explain that for our listeners. Absolutely. But I just want to say it is something I would be interested in in expanding my frontal lobe. <laughs> that is possible. But until then, we'll have to work with the model and the bigger brain that we've got here. Well, just so you know, ChatGPT does give you some suggestions on how you can do that, including getting out in nature, meditating, reading. And a couple other ideas, you can ask it, how do you expand your frontal lobe? And it will give you some suggestions for that. Tune in next time when John is (laughs) with a larger frontal lobe and hopefully (laughs) makes for a more enjoyable episode. Exactly. Thank you, you, ChatGPT. The model that we're talking about here is really the intention was to create a map of the terrain of the intelligence, the brains that are being accessed when it comes to innovation. It's a very simple model. I don't want to overdo it. It really involves two overlapping circles. One of those circles represents human brains and the other represents the digital brain. The circle or domain on the left-hand side, if you can visualize that, um, is the set of human-centered ways of knowing what we lightly refer to as accessing more brains. The circle on the right that is still overlapping is more of a technology-centered knowledge again, lightly and metaphorically referred to as the digital brain. And that bigger brain can not only be found within those two domains, but very much at the overlap. And so accessing the bigger brain against these two domains allows us to position a number of 
tools and applications and technologies that help us tap into those larger brains, that greater intelligence. On the human side, we started to map things out like technologies, again, in the broad sense of a tool to help us do something, technologies like liberating structures or human-centered design tools from Luma Institute. These are all tools and frameworks that help people, the collective of human intelligence, to interact more effectively. There are other tools that we talked about in our session, like game storming and lucid meetings. And then we also have organizations that provide frameworks and tools to help access the larger human intelligence, whether it's around motivation, Vega Factor does some great work in that space around total motivation, as well as Geniant, a company that designs physical spaces that promote collaboration and wider intelligence. And then on the other side of the technology circle, we've got tools and technologies and platforms that speak to big data, like Microsoft Azure or Amazon AWS or Google. But we also have artificial intelligence applications, like you were just mentioning, Tricia, with ChatGPT, OpenAI, DeepMind, Consensus. We know that Google is releasing Bard out there as a competitor to ChatGPT. So those are the things that you would find on the technology digital brain side. And then lastly, there are applications that kind of straddle the two. Notion, Miro or Mural, and then obviously tools like Zoom or Slack or Teams that help these brains come together to achieve things that are greater than or more innovative than just one brain on its own. So Tricia, what do you see as perhaps unique or curious about this model? Well, as you were describing the model, John, I was reflecting on, and you touched on this when you did your initial context, but I was reflecting on why this is so important for us in terms of the bigger brain. And you touched on the ingenuity gap. The reality is that the challenges that we are faced with as a society, as a community, are growing in their complexity and their scale. And the things that we know today aren't helping us solve the challenges that we are faced with today. Otherwise, we would have solved them. It's so important for us to recognize that we need to access a bigger brain, a wider source of information, a wider pool of ideas and different ways of solving problems in order for us to be able to solve these challenging problems. And those problems could be at individual level, at organizational level, at community level, at regional level, at our world level, right? We see the complexity of the problems, I think, at all levels where we interact, growing and widening in terms of the complexity. And so we need to get more creative around solving problems. And I think that is the real genesis and premise behind why the bigger brain is so important, because without the bigger brain, we're unable to get more creative or more innovative, which is what we need to do to solve these problems. That resonates with me, Tricia. It's a truism. It seems so simple to recognize, but I walk around in my daily existence, not at the scale of many of the problems that I experience or that impact me. I'm just a single human being carrying around a perhaps underdeveloped frontal lobe in my head, <laughs> uh, but I'm not at the scale of an environmental crisis. I'm not at the scale of a geopolitical crisis. And those are the problems that we need to access something bigger than ourselves to get at. And when you started to draw those concentric circles, ranging from individual all the way up through to community in the world, 
I think that's what helped me really think differently about the ingenuity gap and about accessing the bigger brain. Yeah. And it makes you think about and reflect on how do you really create the environment to tap into the bigger brain? We're saying that the bigger brain is at the intersection of more brains, human brains, and the digital brain. And there is an overlap between those two circles. But that overlap can be quite small, or we can make that overlap really big. And I believe what we're saying is that the bigger we make that overlap between those two things is the more likely we are to unlock true innovation, more creativity, new ideas. So how do you create the environment at different scales? So whether that be at an individual scale or in small groups at work, at teams, or in your community, or at a regional level, or at a national level, whatever that might be, how do you create the environment that increases that overlap? What does it take to do that? That is the question that is coming up for me. I think when I ask myself that question, Obviously, there's something around bringing people together. So bringing a diverse group of people together on the more brain side. So we're bringing a number of different people together with different experiences and different backgrounds. But when you bring those brains together, that doesn't necessarily mean that you get all the ideas coming out of those brains. You still have to create the environment for those brains to be able to unleash, unlock, and share those ideas. You were touching on using techniques that we talk about in facilitation, like liberating structures and Luma Institute, which help when you bring groups of people together to have a way of creating the space and the environment for them to unlock ideas and be able to share ideas. That's on the human side. On the digital side, there's something about knowing what technologies are out there is the first part of being able to unlock some of the digital brain, knowing what technology is out there and knowing what you can get from technology. Sometimes we just don't even know what is available to us to help with when we bring people together. So there's something that is about knowing what's available, creating the right space, but then how do you also encourage an air of experimentation in that to help unleash ideas as well. There's a lot of questions to me that's taking shape about how do you make the overlap between the two circles bigger and how do you create the environment for innovation? Because you can bring the people together and you can have the technology, but you still may not unlock the bigger brain. It's not guaranteed that you will unlock the bigger brain. I agree. I love those questions that you're raising because these are the designers' questions of, well, how do we architect experiences such that we can meet an innovation challenge and tap into the perspectives, the diversity, the expertise, and the data in a way that's going to be productive? When you describe this increasing overlap between the two domains, the human brain, human intelligence, digital intelligence, it's not without risks. <laughs> the tendency to want to outsource so much to technology to do the heavy lifting has the risk that we outsource too much. We outsource too much of the thinking and we lose sight of the problem that we're trying to solve or we concede too much space and ground to the technology to come up with answers. We don't do the hard work of the thinking. And so that always goes through my mind is what are the risks, let alone the opportunities of having that increased overlap. The thing that I have been trying to come back to when I've been thinking about this model and thinking about innovation is 
to center myself, to center teams I work with around the problem to be solved, to center around the problem or the opportunity and the questions that we're trying to answer. And that leads to what you were also talking about, the design of experiments to solve those, to answer those questions, to solve those problems. And that's a human domain. That's very much on the side of the left-hand circle, the human brains. These are human problems. We said in our symposium, it took us a while to craft this, but I liked it once we arrived at it, is that notion that innovation is about solving the problems that matter with the people for whom the solutions matter the most. Um, and I think that grounding, that anchoring, that gravitational pull back to the people with the problems and focusing on the solutions and the, the questions to be asked, that really helps navigate pulling those circles together. Because I want to, we have to tap into the digital brain. On the one hand, you have the atomization of people. We tend to work on our own where there's so many aspects of societies and organizations that cause us to be isolated geographically or socially. And so trying to pull us together there is one challenge, but there's so much more data that's becoming available to us. There are sensors being installed everywhere on, on large complex manufacturing plants to give us data that we probably don't even know what it's going to be used for. And so we have to find a way to marry these two circles, but I can only do that, I think, by anchoring myself in the human problem that those circles are going to be solving. That was really helpful. So what you've done for me, Don, is you started to crystallize me some of the characteristics or maybe some of the factors that we need to have in place that help us to create the environment for the bigger brain to emerge. You talked about being really clear on the problem to be solved and honing in on exactly what that is. We talked about having a very diverse group of people coming together in terms of their experiences. They also need to be the people that matter to the problem, like you were saying. It's not just necessarily a number of different people with different experiences, but this problem needs to matter to them. That helps to unlock new ideas and the bigger brain. We talked about knowing what the available data is around this problem to help us be able to look at the problem from a different angle, perhaps, right? And make meaning from the data. And that could be data that we haven't necessarily used to this point, but it could be data from a different way of accessing or looking at data. We talked about a mindset of creativity and experimentation. And I think there's something in that for me as well, that there's a connection between the bigger brain and the speed of experimentation, uh, taking this on in a way that you have to be quick and willing to go to market really quickly to test it and try it to know you have to have that feedback loop to access the bigger brain and speed is a part of that as well. And then you talked as well about the designer's challenge and that accessing the bigger brain in essence, takes somebody to think carefully, somebody or some bodies to think carefully around how will we actually design the time that we come together to think on this problem, that there has to be some, in essence, creativity and new ideas and structure that's put towards that so that you do create the ability and the environment to unlock new ideas that haven't been expressed before. 
Those are some of the things I think we've touched on as we've been talking so far. Are there others that have come up for you that are characteristics or factors that are needed to unlock our bigger brain? I'm going to give a cautionary tale, a tale from the wild, almost, as we like to call them. And I think it gets to the question that you're asking, I hope. I love Notion. I love these dynamic note, knowledge, capture sorts of tools. Notion is my preferred one, but I've played with Coda and I know Microsoft has one in the works. But Notion has just launched an AI component within the application. You press spacebar to access AI and you can do a number of things. And I've been playing with summarize and identify action points. So it will trawl through a document or a set of documents to find out the best way of summarizing what you've just captured in your notes and what are some of the action items you would take away. That's great. I take a lot of notes. Many of my notes are almost longer than the thing I'm taking notes on. I had a professor say, you want your paper to be at least shorter than the book that you're writing it on. So I take a lot of notes. So the summarization tool was really tempting and I used it and it provided a great summary. It was in the context of, I do a lot of work in my local community with change efforts. And it was a series of notes taken on a local council meeting and they passed something very controversial. And so the summary that the tool provided was very accurate. It's one of those things where I think, oh, this is going to save so much time. I can get this posted to people. It's very coherent. But when I read it, there was one sentence that was introduced that made me pause and say this policy was passed for the safety and integrity of the stakeholders of the community. And I thought, I don't think it was. <laughs> Wait a minute. And so I searched for those words and safety was only introduced by the artificial intelligence engine. And if I had just passed that out mindlessly, I would then be in introducing this thing that this governmental council did not do. <laughs> But the AI engine found it or saw it fit to include it, and I would have passed it along. So we've got to take care, I think. Mm -hmm. And when you first ask that question, how do you design, how do you design experiences to tap into the bigger brain? I mean, my immediate thought was, it's a terrible answer, but you do it with care. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's exactly what you described earlier. You have to take care in designing these interactions to access the bigger brain. And you have to take care when we start to interact with the digital brain. Because if we're mindless about it, things get introduced that are probably not there. Yeah. And I would layer on to that. You have to take care with the people as well. Isn't that why we talk so much about the importance of psychological safety and creating the space for people to be able to share and to feel comfortable to do that? So care is obviously something that is required in order for us to create the space for the bigger brain. I had a similar tale from the wild this week where I was playing out with one of the apps that Zoom has introduced or one of the apps that was showing up on in my toolbar anyway, I'm not sure if it shows up for everyone, but an app called Read. And what it will do is it will record your meeting and your transcript and like your summarize in Notion, play you back a summary of what was talked about in that meeting, the key actions, gives you back an important quote that came out of that meeting that someone said, the important action items and key words that were touched on in that meeting. It wasn't bad. <laughs> it was quite impressive, actually. And it does that in all of three to four minutes after you press end on your Zoom meeting, much quicker than it would take, I think, me as a human to think back and reflect on that meeting and come up with a four or five line summary of what but happened. You, in you the meeting. have to be writing Zoom's advertising copy. <laughs> you know, actually wasn't bad. 
Yeah, it was bad. But it, like you said, I mean, like your cautionary tale, to use those words, is that you do have to have some care. You can just press send and you can send that out to people. But like you, when you read it, I'm like, eh, not quite. Just pause for a minute there. And how do I edit this? Because that isn't quite the message that had come across. That isn't necessarily the quote that I would have chosen. It's got a few typos in it as well. <laughs> so yeah, there's a pause for cause and a bit of caution to say, is this a true reflection of what's happened? And I think the overall moral, I think, of our stories from the wild is that technology is changing so rapidly and offering us so many amazing opportunities with what it has. But it, the most important part still comes with that interaction with human. If we rely on the technology on its own, we can end up down a path that wasn't actually what was intended. Because like you're saying, if that's the summary that's sent out and then everyone reads that and they think, oh, this is what's happened. We're starting to influence mindsets and the thought process based on a couple of words that meant very different things when they were put together. And we can direct without being intentional, direct thought and what people feel and think about a situation based on something that technology came up with that had actually no human hand in creating, right? It was a reflection or a summary of some AI tool. That did it. Now, it's incredibly helpful in many situations, but there is something that if we rely too heavily on it, that we will end up or we can end up in situations that weren't intended. I agree. It's a reminder to the AI that uh, you're working for me. <laughs> oh, you're working with me. Yes, with definitely. Me. I remember. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I remember a story as well from a podcast that I listened to. This was a true story about someone who was on a trip using GPS to guide them to the destination. And the GPS went the wrong direction. And they followed the GPS, like saying that the GPS must know better and ended up in this completely random situation and then ended up somewhere where they were stuck, where the car was stuck and they had no cell phone service. And it was a very unfortunate tale, but it was about our reliance on technology as our default. While we knew that something was wrong, intuition and the human mind, there was something that was telling us that this isn't quite right but we were determined to rely on the technology thinking that it knew better. For those of us who enjoy the U.S. office, that's the Michael Scott moment where he follows the GPS instructions into the lake. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that type of situation. So what's one thing to remember or take away about this model? I'll ask you, Tricia, I've got a thought on that, but what's one thing to remember or take away when you think about this bigger brain model? Well, I think the thing that stands out most for me is the overall importance of this model and just recognizing that we need this. We need to unlock the bigger brain for the health and success and for our ability as humans to thrive in the world that we live in today. I think that is the thing that ultimately stands out. It's at the very highest level. It's not inside the model itself, but it's the core of why the model is so important and that it's up to us as leaders to think about how do we create the environment and give our people the tools and technology, the information that they need to be able to unlock the bigger brain. Because 
ultimately it is the thing that our survival is going to depend on. I think that's for me, it's the overall importance of this model and that we each take a role as humans and as leaders to be able to create the environment for the bigger brain. What about you, John? Yeah, well, I think it's consistent. There's that need to create that environment to access it. Now, for me, my takeaway, my one thing is for every problem that is out there, there's a bigger brain waiting to be asked the question. And that could be on the human side. It could be on the digital side. It's likely to be the interface, but that's what I take away. It's, as I said earlier, we don't operate as individuals at the scale of the problems that we face. So mm -hmm. of necessity, we have to start asking the questions. And that, even without this model of podcast, that's something we should be doing. But if you're listening, you should definitely be asking those questions. Yeah, absolutely. And John, I'm going to throw you the one question that I know you love so much. If this model were an object, what would it be? <laughs> it, it would be two overlapping circles, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> If this was an object, what would it be? Because I'm sitting in what we call, our family calls the create room, where all the creativity happens, and I'm surrounded by musical instruments, which you won't see on the podcast. So it's a very neat and tidy room for those of you listening. I would liken this to the many guitar pedals that I've reacquired because I lost them when I was young. And then when I was teaching my son to play, we bought more and more and more and more. There's always a new pedal, a new effect, a new echo, a new delay, a new chorus, a new flanger new distortion. And I liken this model to that because if you have to play, you have to have a song worth playing, an idea worth creating. You have to have an instrument and that's and talent, but mostly a desire. The pedals are going to serve that. The pedals might give you some effects that make you think about taking a musical creation in a different direction, but don't rely on the pedals. The more pedals you have does not necessarily equate to a better song or a better performance or a better tune. And I know that perhaps more than anyone. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, John. Well, if you would like to learn more about the big brain, you can check out the links that we have included in the show notes. You can also find the visual that we explored on our Instagram page and on our LinkedIn page. And don't forget, you can also download our app, which will have all of the models that we've talked about, including the bigger brain model that we've been talking about today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it and send a message to hello at everylittlemodel.com and let us know your thoughts. You can join us again next time when we explore a new model and the stories and experiences it inspires. Until then, thanks for listening.